You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another new episode of Uni Therapy Podcast. My name is Kat, and I am especially excited that you are here today. Now, before we get going, if you are new, just so you are familiar, I am a licensed therapist and I own my own practice in Nashville where I do therapy all day long. But this podcast is not therapy, and I just think it's important to remind us all that, that this is not a replacement, nor is it therapy, but it is a resource and a really helpful resource and something that might help encourage you to start therapy if that's something that you feel like you need. So today, whoa or like wow, I think those are the words that I would like to use to describe this episode. Just get ready for a good conversation. You are going to hear a conversation that I had with Justin Baldoni. If you're unfamiliar with him, you are missing out on so much. You might recognize him from playing Raphael on Jane the Virgin. However, that is not how I learned about him. I learned about who he was when his book Man Enough was published. Now, side note, I am now for sure in the process of watching Jane the Virgin. And honestly, I'm obsessed with that show. It's so good. But I found out about him when that book came out and I immediately got it and started listening to it. And it was blowing my mind chapter after chapter, page after page. And I've talked about that book a lot on this podcast in other episodes. And so I was like, I would love to talk to Justin and have a conversation on the podcast. Justin has been seeking out vulnerable and uncomfortable conversations with all kinds of humans for a couple of years now through his Instagram TV series, which led to a viral TED talk, which led to the book Man Enough that I am obsessed with, which now has led to the Man Enough podcast, which I highly recommend. And he started just a little while ago. He describes himself as a student and not an expert, but I am serious when I say this human has really opened up my eyes and taught me so much through his work and through the conversations that he continues to have with people all over the place. And he isn't afraid to say the hard stuff. And I'm someone who 
is learning not to be afraid to hear the hard stuff. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope that you are open to hearing whatever it is that you need to hear in this dialogue today. And before we get into it, maybe just take like a big deep breath because there's a lot of stuff that might be bumping up as you start to listen to some of the truths that uh, Justin lays out for us. So big deep breath, let it out. You might want to keep doing that throughout the episode and uh, let's go. Okay, so let's start with this question. So reading the book and then also listening to your podcast and also your TED talk that was, I think, did that kind of spearhead all of this? Yeah, I I started shooting the Man Enough um, TV digital series and then I did the TED talk. Mm -hmm. But the TED talk really is what kind of took everything off and took off and inspired me to go deeper. So a lot of what you are talking about is talking about masculinity, the way the world's set up in our culture and a lot of the issues with it. But at the same time, the way that our culture is set up around just like men and patriarchy and a lot of that benefits you in a lot of ways. So Mm -hmm. I want to hear what has been like for you to kind of break some of that down, especially because I think depending on who you are and where you are in your life, there's probably people that are like, don't mess this up for us. (laughs) You know, there's probably some men that are like, well, this is working for us because if we have our horse blinders on, we don't have to pay attention to a lot of stuff that you're exposing. So what has that process been like for you? That's a great question. Not easy or fun or comfortable, but, but before I even get into that, the idea of there's like a lot of men that would say don't mess this up for us is i think part of the issue in that men aren't saying that because most men don't think they're at an advantage so this could be controversial but i just believe in the goodness of men and i don't believe that men are out there thinking that this world benefits me i'm at an advantage and therefore i want to keep my power because that would be assuming that most men are not good men and they're power hungry and they want to stay dominant. I honestly believe, especially the men who are kind of anti this movement of equality or keep men strong and all this type of stuff. I honestly believe those men have the most fear and that they, they are looking at their lives and saying, my life is freaking hard. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. Work's not going great. You know, trying to make it this work with my wife. I'm working too much. I don't get to see my kids. Like I think, I think that men are like, this isn't working for me. Don't tell me I'm at a disadvantage or don't, don't tell me I'm at an advantage. Don't tell me that I have privilege. I think that that's where it comes from. I don't think it's like, I have all this power. This world benefits me. And therefore like F this guy and stop talking about gender equality. Cause what we know about privilege is that for folks with privilege, equality can feel like oppression, right? Martin Luther King. So in terms of just this movement itself and like, Equality, I think the issue is that, yes, as a man, I have privileges from birth, especially as a white straight man, that women don't have, that black men don't have, right? Gay men or trans or gender non-conforming folks don't have. But I was not taught to recognize that privilege as a man. I was just brought up in this society and told this is how it goes and this is how it works and this is what you have to do if you want to succeed or win. And the problem with having that type of privilege in a patriarchal society is that I am not allowed to hurt. So while yes, there's tremendous benefits to being a man, as an example, I don't have to worry about being sexually assaulted or raped when I walk down the street, right? I, in general, know that just from being born and if I have an education, I'll make more money. 
than women, right? There's innate privileges that come with it. But what doesn't come with it is the space to hurt and to be in distress and to be depressed and to be confused and to be and to have anxiety and to be a human being in our culture. So there's like, there's clear benefits, but I actually believe that while it's benefiting me, it's actually hurting me more than it's helping me because all of the benefits I'm getting from the patriarchy are material benefits. The emotional tax that I have to pay for that, I believe is far higher than the benefits, which is why I'm doing this work, which is why, yeah, I did a TED talk reluctantly, which is why I ended up writing the book reluctantly, because I know that by coming out and challenging this system and by saying, this isn't working for anybody, (laughs) there are inevitably going to be men who don't recognize that they are even hurting, who don't recognize that they have innate privilege, who are going to then use what they have been taught, the, the, the power dynamic of the patriarchy to attack me and bring me down and make me feel less than. That, that's, of course, the reluctance to doing this type of work. Does that answer your question a little bit? I, that more than answers my question. Everything you said was both, it's hard. I think part of it's like hard for me to hear that because that was all, my thoughts and my bias and my own mind coming through asking that question. One, because I'm not a guy yeah. and I'm not a man. And it, it's making me think about the difference between as a therapist, I work primarily with women not because that's what I ask to work mm-hmm. with, but because the majority of people going to therapy are women. Yeah. And another thing is my specialty is eating disorders and body image. Oh, so cool. Yeah. So the other thing about that is I have a caseload of, I probably have 40 people in my caseload. I think there's three guys. Yeah. Of those three guys, none of them are talking about body image or eating or anything like that. Yeah. And it's also not because men don't have that problem. No, it's because men aren't talking about that as much, which to go back to the chapter that I'm rereading, it's your body image one. Chapter two. That's a really deep chapter. It's so good. But I think everything you're saying is talking about that. You're right. It's not working because to me, I wish that everybody felt the same amount of invitation to go feel their stuff and work on their stuff and be vulnerable and talk to somebody about hard things and be honest. And what you're saying is like, men don't feel that invitation. This isn't working for us. And so, yeah, maybe we, we do make more money or we have this or we have that, but the real meat of what like life is about, we don't have as much space in that realm. No, there's no space. And it makes, this makes perfect sense. There's very few men in your practice, especially as it relates to eating disorders, because what we've done is we've disguised eating disorders as a, as a sign of masculinity. Like mm. if you look at mm-hmm. how we as men are told we should look, what our body should look like, you really can't get there unless you have some form of an eating disorder, right? Mm-hmm. Thank you I for mean, saying we've that. even disguised, yeah. like I know a ton of men with eating disorders that just say that they're fasting. Oh, for sure. You know, look at our diets. Look at the way we're look at the way we're eating and the way that we are tracking calories and all of these types of things. That's not a healthy, sustainable way of life, which is why I talk in the book about the Y ladder. When you're doing it for a specific outcome and that and that outcome isn't your job or truly related to your happiness, mm-hmm. there's an underlying issue there that you're not actually dealing with. And yet, mm-hmm. you know, we follow Instagram influencers and all these diet coaches and all these types of things. In reality, like I know a lot of these guys that are really unhappy. (laughs) They are, they need therapy and they repress it and they push it down and 
they 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 weigh and they measure every tiny thing that they eat and they obsess over their food and uh if they have a bad meal they'll fast for 24 hours like this is all very normalized types of things but we've normalized it because it's a it's a sign of masculinity it's a sign of an attractive body when in reality there's a very high chance probability that there's some eating disorder stuff happening there and on top of that we have image disorders and body disorder like body dysmorphia muscle dysmorphia all these types of things that mm -hmm. so many of us men have but we've just chalked that up to being men. This is just a part of it. Um, and we're not actually talking about it. And also finally, as it relates to like the, the idea that there's no men in therapy or in your practice, women have had to lean on each other and build community to cope, I believe, with the stress and tax of what it means to be a woman in society. Women have had to be there for each other because men can't be there for each other. And therefore, in addition to all the bullshit that women have to put up with on a daily basis from men, men also then put women in a place where they have to be their therapist and confide in them. So not only are women holding all of the, the female things that happen to them on a daily basis, the microaggressions, the, the fear of sexual assault or rape and the stress of trying to raise a family and be mothers and be pro and, 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 and basically give herself to everybody. She now has to also hold the weight of her man because her man can't talk to men or anybody else because it's so unmanly and unmasculine. And the only place a woman can go is other women. So, yeah. so therefore community was built, which is why, like, I know, you know, so many women who on like, you know, they see, they see another woman and boom, it's, how are you? What's happening? You're like, tell me, are you okay? And men are just like, let's just avoid that conversation forever. Let's just watch the game, drink a beer and whatever it is. Hey guys, Kat here. And I have something very important to talk to you guys about. Now, I know you're used to hearing me talk about therapy and how important it can be for you and how transformative it can be for you in your life. But if you're somebody who's tried therapy and it just hasn't done the trick or you just need a little extra boost, I think I've found the next best thing. And the next best thing might just be Cozy Earth and their bamboo sheets and their bamboo pajamas. It feels like you are stepping into a buttery, cozy, warm, and cool hug all at the same time. And that's just their pajamas. Don't even get me started on their sheets. As soon as I touched them, I said, okay, we're changing the sheets right now. And the bonus is they come in this really cute travel tote so you can take your sheets with you wherever you go. Elevate your summer getaway with Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding and loungewear, ensuring the comfort of home wherever you roam. We're all in luck because you can discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code UNEED at checkout to get 35% off. Yes, 35% off. And let them know that we sent you Unique Therapy after you check out. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. 
Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Here's my question for you. What happens when a guy does do that? Like what happens when a guy goes over to somebody's house and maybe you're going to watch a game and you're like, hey, before we put the game on, I don't know if men do this, but like, how are you? Men don't do that. The problem is, is that it, at, from a very early age, I don't want to say all men, but a vast majority of men from my research and both in my <laughs> research and both in my personal life and also actual research are taught that that's not a safe thing to do. And that oh. happens because early on when we're kids, when we're in situations that would require vulnerability or when our bodies are changing or when if something happens, oftentimes the thing that happens turns into shaming and like public shaming and making fun of and humiliation. And what we're taught then is that men are not safe spaces. That if I'm going to, as an example, like, you know, who knows, piss in my pants or something <laughs> as, as, as a kid or, or pee, in the, pee in the bed and I'm having a sleepover, then those boys will go tell other boys and I'll get made fun of at school. So the vulnerability thing, right? The, the thing that I'm struggling with as a kid will then be used against me. Why? Because as boys were taught that we have to one up each other in order to gain power and popularity, right? So the ladder of achieving that this mythical alpha status, even as a young boy, is using other people, put, putting other boys down to build yourself up. That's, the, that's this mirage of the patriarchy. Yeah. That's, how it's, that's what it's built on. It's this one-upmanship. And so God knows whether you're like a, you know, the kid that shat on the bus, you know, had an accident when he was seven. Well, we know that boys take that and keep calling that kid that name until they're seniors in high school. Forever. Forever. Yeah. You get labeled these things. I remember, I remember being, what was I, maybe 11, 11 or 12 or something. And my body was changing like all the other kids. And I was getting these like, you know, the wind could blow and I would get an erection. Mm -hmm. This is what happens mm -hmm. to young boys. Nobody talks to us about it. Our parents don't talk to us about mm -hmm. it. We don't learn about it in school. We don't learn how to deal with it. So suddenly there's just shame around it. And our bodies are changing and there's shame around it. We haven't discovered sex yet. By 11 or 12, I had actually already been introduced to porn, although my body hadn't, uh, hadn't really started changing so much yet that I was able to use it to like masturbate or things like that. But we're exposed to these things at a young age. And I remember being with another guy and no thought, no anything. My body just like, I just got an erection. And I remember tucking it into my pants and making a joke about it because he's another boy and he's going through puberty. And I'm like, oh, he'll get it. And instead he went to school and started a rumor that I touched myself around him and I didn't know what happened. And all of a sudden everybody was laughing at me when I got off the bus the next day. And this was my good friend. And oh I was like, what's happening? And people were, and girls were laughing and guys were laughing and they were calling me names. And luckily I had so many friends that were girls. I said, what, what's going on? And a girl whispered to me and they said, he said that you were touching yourself in front of him. And I was mortified 
because I wasn't. I literally was adjusting my 11-year-old erection. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and here was this boy who knew that if he went to school the next day and made fun of me, that everybody would view him as more powerful or popular or whatever it is. So at 11 years old, I knew, boom, men are not safe. Boys are not safe. Girls are safe. And that's what we do. So that's in us. And every man has their own version of that, their own experience. But that happens over and over and over and over again in our lives. So, so much was just brought up in that. I'm sitting here thinking about like, so then what do we do? Because you're bringing back a memory for me of working in a treatment center. I worked in the eating disorder program, but there's tons of different programs here. I worked with women, but I was, I started a men's body image group. Cause I was like, I think people might want to come and little by little one guy came and the next yeah. week, three guys came and the next week, finally there's like 10, 12 guys, which was a cap. And one of the guys said to me one day, cause I was like, do you guys like want to come here? Like, do we want me to keep doing this? And he was like, cat, this is the group and these people are in, it's residential treatment. So mm-hmm. they're in groups and therapy all day long, all week long. He said, I look forward to this group every week now. It is the mm-hmm. group that I feel the most safe. And I don't necessarily know that that was because there was a female running. It could have had something to do with that. But I think the other thing is the group was created to talk about things that weren't talked about in their house, in their in their program. Yeah. It was like the women's issue. So that j- memory just got brought up for me as you're talking because they could have been talking about that in their groups. They could have been talking about body image in their yeah. group, but obviously they didn't feel safe to do that because somebody would have made fun of them, I'm sure, or made a joke or said something or looked at them weird. And in, in that group, nobody was doing that because everybody had the same shared issue. So long-winded way, what are we supposed to do to help men feel safe with other men so then the women aren't exhausted and the men actually can get their needs met? There's two things that I can think of. One of them actually is, and unfortunately comes back to women yeah. because women are not immune from, from the shaming response either. It, it's really tricky. So, you know, Bell Hooks, as I'm sure you read, writes about female misogyny. And I don't believe it's intentional. I'm sure there are some women that are absolutely misogynistic because for a yeah. lot of reasons, right? But mm-hmm. it's very surprising how many quote unquote woke women actually have a lot of their own internal misogyny. And mm-hmm. what that yeah. looks like is I think a combination of a lot of things. One is we've all been raised the same way. Men and women have been socialized in the same way. Women have been socialized to view men in the same way that men have been socialized to view men and to view themselves. So there is a part of many women, while they desire, I believe, vulnerability in a man, there is a part of them that has been trained to be disgusted by it. Well, yeah, it's like in my head, I just thought like, be vulnerable, but like not too much. And that's like, I want my... I want my partner to cry, but I don't want him to be like too yeah, whiny. Want, yeah, and so, and what is that line, right? And that's a really tricky thing. Uh, Glennon Doyle writes about this in Untamed and the responsibility that women have here. And really, this is a woman's conversation. I can't have the conversation for women. What I can, right. what I can tell women who are listening, assuming that most of your listeners are women, is that be very mindful of the moment a man opens up to you and your reaction, because your reaction will train him whether or not it's safe for him to open up. Because if he can't open up with men and he does finally open up with a woman and the woman loses attraction or tells him to man up, which has happened many times, yeah, you're creating a situation where a man literally has nowhere to go. Now, I'm not mm-hmm. pro-men, as I said earlier, putting their shit on women, but we have to start somewhere and there's nowhere for us to go. 
the idea of going to a therapist is like climbing Mount Everest for many men who've never trained. Like it's not going up and hiking your local mountain. It's jumping right into Mount Everest, talking to another dude, calling another guy and be like, Hey man, I'm struggling. That does not exist in our vocabulary, which is why so many of us men go to women and have made women our therapists. The difference is how can women hold some of that without allowing that boundary to be crossed so that they don't become the therapist. And what ends up happening as I've had, I can't even tell you how many messages I have from men who have watched the Ted talk or read the book now and have opened up to women and had, and the women have rejected them. It just, it happens all the time. And it's not even the woman's fault because the woman has been told this part of a man, if they do this, that guy's a pussy. That guy's a this, that guy's a, he's weak. And he, and then what, what, what do we tell women that a weak man can't protect them? Why? Because women need to be protected from who? From men. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, so it goes yeah. back to, it's, it's, it's like, I have so much empathy and compassion, especially for women here, because it's not your fault. You need a strong man to protect you from other men. So the idea of vulnerability, when it comes into the equation, it makes women feel unsafe in this strange way. And, I, and so what I would ask is like read Bell Hooks, read Glennon Doyle's book, read, read Untamed about, especially her chapter, I think it's boys, uh, where she talks about it. See if you can push past that initial response and hold it for, for a moment. And then let's like not train our men like Pavlov style to run away from vulnerability. The second piece right. of this is it's not just to snap your fingers and men can create sp safe spaces for men. But the only way it will start to work is if there are super badass, strong men who are willing to start to be vulnerable, which is why I personally believe if we were to like flip the idea of these masculine traits on their head, you'd find that the bravest man, sure, mm -hmm. like great, you train, you go, you, you run into a burning building and save people's lives. Awesome. But can you run into the bur burning building of your depression and share that with another man? I would argue that the emotional bravery is true bravery. You're, well, you're talking about something that Brene Brown used to talk a lot about in the beginning of her stuff too, is the difference between bravery and courage and bravery being the kind of person who will run into a burning building and courage is the kind of person who will show up with their whole heart. Yeah. That's what you're talking about. And I think that's really important because I mean, I'm that last part you said about like women need men to be manly and masculine and strong and, and all of that, because we need men to protect it. The whole cycle It's like, we need those men to protect us, but we need those men to protect us because well, men. of the whole thing. And the first, yes, yeah. it's wild to me. Trinity school of natural health can help you be part of the fast growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. 
we're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Which also, this is one of my favorite quotes that I've pulled from your book, and I might not say exactly Correct, but you said something. Okay, great. So um, it was in the body image chapter. It was my favorite chapter so far. But you said something like looking strong isn't a way to be strong, but a way to avoid being weak. And I think that that's kind of what you're talking right here. Like the person that runs into a a burning building to save somebody, that person looks really freaking strong. And and maybe they are in some aspect. But like, what are are you doing that to look like a man because you feel like you have to because of X, Y, Z? Or why are you even doing that? And then in your life, in your relationship, in your job, in what your whatever, are you able to show up? Are you able to run into the burning building of the conflict that you guys have? Exactly. And I and and let's just be mindful, of course, because firefighters and, you know, uh, police officers right. and, you know, of military folks, that is extreme bravery. It is. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say like one is more important than the other, but what you find oftentimes is is uh these professions are professions. And they're high risk professions, but we've been taught as men and boys as a young age that those are the professions that equate to a certain masculine status. Like those are the heroes, right? So there's always this, I think, unmet need of wanting to grow up and be and be seen as that. We're told to take physical risks. It hurts us and it kill it kills us. And it also is the thing that makes us brave. As a young boys were taught, you're a boy, you're a man, physical risks take them. Mm-hmm. So you grow up and you become these, these, these professions, the, these, you know, responders, these heroes, but can we also do that in our personal life, which is what you're saying. And that cycle of like training men that this is what it's, this is what it means for you to be a man. This is, this is the type of job. This is, you know, it's like we have freaking calendars of firefighters because women like oogle at them because they're sexy in uniform and they risk their mm-hmm. lives and all of these things. But like, are they talking about their feelings? 
Are they depressed? Are they, what therapist office are they in? You know, look, there's just, there's so much repressed anxiety and fear and frustration that so many of us men are walking around with that we don't have an outlet for. So, so it goes into our work. It ends up as a work addiction. It goes into us taking more physical risks and we don't have any place to put it. And you're helping kind of end that cycle. So I do want to say thank you, because I think that when you were saying like, we actually do need strong men that are willing to take the risk to do this, to show up because somebody has to start, like somebody has to start. And that brings me to my very favorite quote of all time. And it's a Margaret Mead quote. And she said, never doubt that a small group of committed citizens can change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever has. And that's one of the reasons I was like, I need to talk to you because literally what you're doing, like you're starting with these conversations on Instagram and then a TED talk, and then you're writing this book and it's started with a lot of what I'm hearing, a lot of women actually leaning into the work you're doing. And then from that, then men are actually being invited in. And so you start, you're one person who has started kind of like a huge shift. Mm. And I don't know if it feels huge to you, but it's huge. Like it really is. Appreciate it. It's uh, I don't know. I, I, I always try to go back to the one person, the one man. And every yeah. day I'm getting a few of these one men who are writing, saying something or saying that it shifts something, you know, and I, and I get to keep having these moments every day where it's like, it is working, it is helping, it is making mm-hmm. a difference. Our society focuses so much on mass change, like mass impact, how many people it's like, we grow up right now. It's like not enough to affect one person. You have to affect millions or what are you doing with your life? And that's not at all. That's especially as being raised in the Baha'i faith. That's not at all our view. It got it's all back to how to be a humble servant and affect that one person. So even in this world where, yeah, I have millions of followers and all of these types of things, it's about the one man because that one man at any given point in time is interacting with how many women on a daily basis, how many other men, how many, you know, does he have children? This is how we change the world. You have to do that. You have to, yeah. So, so it's very, it's very tricky. It's confusing. I still struggle with it. It's still hard for me to reach out to other men. Because then when you get to a point when you're known as that kind of person, you're like, shit, <laughs> you know, all these men look up to me. Oh, yeah. Now, even in my group of friends, it's like, ah, how do I tell them that I'm struggling with this while I'm doing all of these things, you know, because we're never immune to it. That's why I wrote the book as a student, not as a teacher. So yeah, it's all in us. It's, it's, it's my socialization is in me. So I could be writing a book and giving TED Talks and talking about these things and yet still struggling to call my friend if I'm struggling with something. And that's, that's just being human. Like we don't just reach the other side. It's a constant daily practice. You're talking to a therapist who goes to therapy. So I well, get that. Well, the best therapist should. I, I agree. But I get I, I, that all that you're saying is like, yeah, I struggle every day with stuff and I have to go get myself checked out and I have to make sure that I'm like staying in line with what my beliefs are. And I have to make sure that I am getting help and feedback because as somebody who like you're in a helping profession now, as somebody who's helping others, you got to check yourself. So I just want to wrap all this up. Want say thank mm-hmm. you. For all of what you're doing, I will promise at one point I will finish the book, but I really don't That's want so to. Sweet. Well, take your time. Um, but the good news is if I don't, you now have a podcast, which is awesome. Yeah. I listened to um, Matthew McConaughey's episode this morning while I was getting ready. So that oh, was sweet. really, really interesting and good. Yeah. But so many of those episodes have been awesome. So if you guys that are listening are hearing something, you're like, I need more of this, like, You've already heard me talk about his book, but go get the book and listen to the Man Enough podcast. And where else 
can they find and hear you? Social media, the love hate relationship I have with it, but yeah, social media. And, yeah. but I think the man of podcasts is a great, is a great place right now. You're going to love this as a therapist. I just had a deep conversation with my dad. Oh, well, just so you know, I already listened to it. <laughs> I listened to it oh, last week. I think when it came, I don't know if it was when it came out. I listened to it on a road trip. It was yeah, last week. It came out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and we're just, we're trying to go there. My wife's coming on my yeah. wife, we just had a, my wife on. She's coming on next week. We have some amazing, amazing folks. The conversation you had with your dad was honest. Like it was good. And what you have done is modeled. Because I think a lot of people, especially when I'm in therapy with them, I'm like, we're talking about how to have some of those conversations that you had. And it's so like people can't even imagine it. What do you mean I'm going to be honest with my dad and tell him how he hurt me, but also to say thank yeah, you? Like, what do you mean? And you're giving like an example. Yeah of what that can look like. And I think that's awesome. We need examples right now. Yeah. And this, we just we unfortunately have so few of them. Mm -hmm. I don't do it perfectly. I mean, there's times on this podcast where I'm learning and I and it's uncomfortable and I make mistakes and Liz calls me on it. You know, I have a female mm -hmm. co-host and that's part of this process is we have to be willing to make mistakes and men don't like making mistakes, especially publicly or admitting we don't know the answer. And a huge part of this and why I'm doing it is just to show that like we can stay in the room. Like you can be told you're wrong and you can be told you are sexist or chauvinistic. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that you're all bad. Yeah, that part, we can stay in the room. What you just said, like yeah. we can mess up and be almost called out to an extent or approached or confronted and we can still be good people. Yeah. Like we can stay in the room. It's just that. canceled. You're not just, it's not just over for you because yeah. you're, yeah. you make a mistake. It's, oh shit, I made a mistake. Oh, I didn't think of it that way. I'm sorry. Boom. It's amazing, right? That we can be human beings and be messy and messed up and, and mm -hmm. still have the opportunity to be friends or repair. So that's, that's what we're working on. And, and I'm, you know, I'm grateful for folks like you that are doing this work that are um, trying to get the message mm -hmm. out and, if you're a man listening to this, just know that, or if you're a woman listening to this and you want your man to listen to this, and now you're a man listening to this, uh, <laughs> just know uh. that you have an ocean of depth in you and you are so much more than what the world has put on you and the feelings and thoughts and dreams and sensitivities you have don't make you less of a man. They make you more of a man because they make you a human. And at the end of the day, our job as men, I believe, is to figure out how to be the best human beings we possibly can. And that starts with like using these ideas of what it means to be manly, to be masculine and going in and going deep and getting comfortable in the uncomfortable and exploring who we are as individuals and showing up and staying in the room. And uh, I appreciate you listening. Okay, that was beautiful. So if you are anybody listening to that, rewind that and listen to it again. That was amazing. So we're going to end on that because that was a good way to kind of close it out. So thank you for being so here. And be here. yeah, everybody listening, you can follow us at, at You Need Therapy Podcast. Get the book, listen to the podcast, Man Enough, Man Enough Podcast. And thank you for being thank here. Thank you. We all need therapy. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. 
A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.